Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Good morning, Grinders! Welcome to the DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, a.k.a. Blender Ed, Blender HD, if you want to follow me on Twitter. And it's Monday, and you know what we do on Mondays. Got to bring it up. We bring up, uh, we get uh, uh, James McCool, co-author of the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports. We have a new advanced course out, which just came out, what, three weeks ago? Uh, go pick that up, theoryofdfs.com. It includes James's tools that uh, I, I did use to build my lineups uh, yesterday, uh, in addition to uh, Lineup HQ here at Roto Grinders. Uh, but go to theoryofdfs.com. Anytime you see X, anything Excel on this show, it's probably from those tools. Uh, also, good morning to all the people in the chat. Uh, good morning, Suki Singh, Wataz, Daniel Hutchins, CWCG, DFIC, GR Sauceda, Andrew Aberm. Uh, Joe Mack uh, says, good morning, fellow riders. Loving the portfolio trimmer tool. Great work, James. Uh, Colin Wayne asks, how do you insert the projections into a prior day of lineup HQ? Uh, you can't. My suggestion is to do not uh, remove that browser tab because uh, it's stored in the cache. And then you could you could use lineup like what I have right here. I left mine from yesterday. And then you can. But once you go to an historical day, there's no way to in insert uh, import your projections into lineup HQ. So uh, so leave it up. There's, there's no way. I mean, you could do it in Excel. You could do it. There, there are ways to finagle around, you know, take the players from that slate and import them into a new slate, into the current slate. And there's hack ways to do it. Probably not good ones. Uh, but but James, I wanted to start out today. We'll, we'll be going over yesterday, uh, the Sunday slate in, in, in NFL. Uh, but I, but I, last night I posed an interesting thought experiment on Twitter. It is a sports question. It has nothing to do with DFS. We rarely sometimes talk about actual sports uh, on, on the show. Uh, I asked the question. If you were to ask, I, I'm going to make it a little bit more, explain it a little bit more. Uh, if you were to ask, like, let's say a million North Americans, okay, and you just gave them, you say, athlete and a number, just a number, what number would have the highest percentage of people responding to a single person? So, for instance, you could say 42. Like, I think of Jackie Robinson, right? Obviously retired, you know, obviously broke the color barrier. He's, the number's retired and everywhere. Uh, but I, I'm pretty sure in California, you may say, some may say Ronnie Lott. 
right? Mm-hmm. The Hall of Fame say safety for the 49ers. New York, some people may say Mariano Rivera because he didn't have to give up his number when Jackie Robinson uh, number was retired. But like, what's the percentage of it? So like, it could be like, like Jackie Robinson is like 92% of, that's that's a recognizable number. It has nothing to do with the raw amount of people. If you asked a million people and you said 42, and the person's like, I can't name anyone with a 42, like they don't count. Like they, they there's nothing for them, right? So some people would say 12. Like I saw a lot of 12, 12, 12. It's Tom Brady's number. It's Tom Brady's number. And I'm like, well, 12 is also Aaron Rodgers' number. Is also Joe Namath's number. Roger yeah. Stallback, Terry Bradshaw. Uh, John Stockton's number, like, like, would Tom Brady be number one on that list of number 12 being the most recognized? Sure, but probably not 90% or mm-hmm. anything like that. So, like, what is the number? No- so, you when you say the number, that's the most amount. It doesn't matter the raw number. And, of course, we're dealing primarily with North Americans. There's probably some Indian or Chinese Weird sport that I don't follow that they that number 37 is this guy and there's nothing like that. So that's I'm not I'm not trying to be like, you know, okay, we don't care about those people, it's just I don't know. So like to have that conversation, I wouldn't have any idea. So I came I originally came up with three, but then I changed it to a different three once you think more about it. So like James, what what would your answer to that be? Uh probably 23. I mean that's that's like the easiest one, and then probably after that, eighty-one. Eighty-one. What's eighty-one? Wait, no, not eighty-one. See, I, I I'm not somebody who watches sports very often. It's twenty-three. It's twenty-three for sure. I put twenty-three on my. I, uh, the, I put him them second on the list. Uh, the the three that I originally came up with as the top three was 42, 23, and ninety-nine. Yeah. See, I don't know forty-two or ninety-nine. Okay, 42 is Jackie Robinson. 99 is Wayne Gretzky. Okay, that's that's fair. Um, I think that you're way overestimating 99, though. No, no, but understand the point of my question. It's like, well, what happens if you don't know hockey? It's like, well, then you don't know a 99. It's like it's it's asking the amount of people. It's not the total raw number of people. It's that when you say 99, if 99% of people say Wayne Gretzky, it wins. Right, it doesn't matter that only 500 people know 99. It's just that oh, the number is okay. associated with only one person, the most amount. But uh, someone pointed out, Aaron Judge is 99. Yeah. So you, you uh, how much? Uh, Wayne Gretzky probably gets like 95 plus percent of recognizing 99. Mm-hmm. Is that just like 23? 23 is LeBron's number. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Right. So like, yes, 23 would. Michael Jordan would get a the bulk of that, but it's not a hundred percent. And I'm not looking for it. No, no one's going to be a hundred percent. So it's like, what's the percentage? So I, after, after seeing responses and it was a nice, pleasant conversations having on Twitter. Uh, I went back and I'm like, I think the, I think the top three are 43, 66 and 68. I don't know any of those. Okay. 43 <laughs> is Richard Petty's number. Okay. The greatest net in the, arguably the, the greatest NASCAR driver ever only because I looked up sports numbers, 43 and it's like Richard Petty. And then like, I, who the hell's going to name any of these other people? 
Right. Yeah. In addition, okay. Now, obviously, if you're if you don't follow NASCAR, you're not from probably mostly in the South. Like I, I, I put like three on the list originally because three is Babe Ruth and three is Dale Earnhardt. Mm-hmm. Right. So down South, you're going to get a lot of, oh, three, Dale Earnhardt. And Babe Ruth is obviously, you know, culturally significant in the United States. Uh, but it's enough that Babe Ruth wouldn't get 90%, probably wouldn't even get eight. And there's, also there's other threes uh, that you may get little here's and there's and stuff like that. So like 43 is Richard Petty. 66 is Mario Lemieux. I don't even know who that is. Soccer player? Uh, the Hall of Fame Penguin Center. I got nothing, dude. One of the greatest. Uh, yeah, you're not a, you're not a hockey person, so a hockey person. But, but if I was a hockey person, I understand why that number would be right. So out of the million people you ask, it's quite possible that that nine hundred thousand people go. I don't know any sixty six, but yeah. out of the hundred thousand that do answer, and they go sixty six. What what their offensive linemen with sixty six? Like what? Like just based on the number conventions. Like what other sixty six is there? And then right. on 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 his same team a little bit later is Yaramir Yager sixty eight, mm-hmm. but one of the all time leading goal scorers in hockey. Like what other sixty eight is? I mean, like just what other sixty eight is there? Yeah, that's a, that's should... an interesting that's an interesting uh, thought experiment for sure because it's not about who is the most known; it's about who's the highest percentage of known. Known that's, from that number, right? That's interesting. Yeah. So you actually some, end some up because some people said like, well, how about ten? Like ten. Well, ten was Pele, ten was Maradona, and ten was Messi. I mean, like ten. So you can't go by soccer numbers because it's done more traditionally. Like number seven is Cristiano Ronaldo, but there's there's tons of number seven. I mean, like, like yes, he's the most probably the most known seven. Yeah. But you but can't go ten because it'll be split so many times by well. If you're 70 years old, you're going to say Pele. If you're right. 50 years old, you're going to say Maradona. And if you're 30 years old, you're going to say Messi. So it's like, does anyone get over even 50% of that? Well, if you said 68, like either you know hockey and you, and you to me, it's Yarmir Yager, like a hundred, nearly a hundred percent, or you don't know any 68s right. at all. Yeah. That's interesting. That's an interesting thought. Right, because the people in chat are like 32, magic. They're up there. Dude, Charles Barkley was 32. Yeah. Akeem Olajuwon was 32. Like, it's not about being the most famous person with that number, right? Because even Michael Jordan, like, I could look up, like, 23, 23 in sports number. I mean, just looking up LeBron James, right? Because obviously you got some that's going to be LeBron James, 23 greatest athletes to wear number 23. Greatest players, Ryan Sandberg. I mean, yes, he's only going to probably get one percent of it, probably in Chicago, right? But like, you, but people said number twelve. I said, dude, if you go to Chicago or Wisconsin or Minnesota, like you say number twelve, and they're going to say Aaron Rodgers. Like, yeah. there's enough people. Like, and same for and same for you go down to you go to uh, Ohio or Pennsylvania, they're going to say Terry Bradshaw. Like, obviously, maybe not twenty year olds, but in general. You're going to get enough people. Roger Stallback for the Cowboys. Like, there's going to be enough that maybe Brady gets 64%. But, like, that, the whole purpose of it is, like, what for that number? And then people are making fun. Imagine people thinking Richard Petty is 43. Uh, if you watch if you watch NASCAR, there's no single – it's like, if you're not – you say 43, it's Richard Petty. Like, that's, that's literally the only number. I mean, just because you don't watch the sport doesn't make it, like – we're talking about hockey, right? 
Like 99, I can't think of anyone else other than than uh, than Wayne Gretzky. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think that um, it's it's interesting because you end up having to remove the most popular numbers. Like you you have to to cut it down to like really unpopular and kind of weird numbers that don't exist in super popular spots and super popular sports because Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers at 12 and I mean, Kobe Bryant at eight or 24, 24, right? Yeah, but there are tons of other 24, but there are tons of other 24s, right? So like, even if you said 24, depending on where you're at or who you're talking to that watches a different sport, they might not say Kobe Bryant. Right. So that, that is an interesting thought experiment. Right. That's why I'm just going through. It's like, the, yeah, because we're, cool. not, we're not trying to debate like a raw number. Cause it's like, that's too, that's too difficult. Right. Yeah. So like, like, it's just like, Oh, just buy the actual number. So it's not the most famous people with that number, but uh, the most famous people with the number zero is uh, Albert O. Right. <laughs> Albert zero. Um, did he score zero fantasy points yesterday? Yes, he scored zero fantasy points. And I did, I did not play him in cash, and I still lost anyway. But uh, <laughs> that's besides the point. It, this was one of the weird weeks for me from, from, a, from a psychological perspective, mm-hmm. from a process versus results perspective, that I lost. Because I, I lost primarily in cash. Like on DraftKings cash, I didn't play Amon Ross St. Brown, but I did play him in FanDuel cash. Okay. Like DraftKings cash, I play a decent chunk of money. Uh, but in GPPs, I did not do badly. I did not score in the top 1%, but I cashed a ton of lineups. Yeah. I only played 18 lineups, and I cashed a whole bunch of them because I I got the like I got a lot of the I got a lot of the right players. I got a lot of the right lineups. It's just that without like the one, the dud here. And obviously we're talking about a slate where uh, you wouldn't come in the top 1% unless you stacked one game. I mean, it was just, it was pretty much all one game. And if you did, if you basically, you needed one of the quarterbacks in the, the Ravens Dolphins game, mm-hmm. whether it be Lamar, probably two because he's cheaper. Yeah. Uh, you needed a Nick Chubb at running back, especially when like barely any running backs did anything. Right. Uh, you needed Waddle and Hill. You needed Amon Ross St. Brown. Yeah. And probably needed Mark Andrews at tight end, being that he uh, outscored other tight ends by that much. And then you needed like like the Jaguars or the the Buccaneers defense. Yeah. You needed a defense that scored at least double digits or something. Like if you did not have that. These these players were owned enough that like you didn't need Rashad Bateman. You could have you could have found a way there. You could have had Curtis Samuel there instead, right? Like there, there are yeah. other ways to get there. Uh, so when that's the case, it's like whatever lineups are correlated to that. Well, there's more than one percent of them. So like if basically those are the lineups. Like one of my lineups, I had uh, a lot of the lineups with that game. I had Chase Edmonds in, so like that that didn't work. That didn't work out that much. Like, here's a lineup that I had. I mean, take a look at this lineup, James. Tua, Edmonds, Hill, Andrews. Then I have Saquon Barkley plus DJ Moore. I have Ashton Doolin as my punt, who did great, who did fine. They, I would, I mean, look at my exposures. And then I mix in in the Bengals, right? But if you take a look at, like, I had 18 lineups. Seven out of 18, my highest exposure was Amon Ross St. Brown. Mm-hmm. Ashton Doolin, 
seven out of 18. But then I also had seven out of 18 with Barkley. Right? I had Allen Robinson. He had a touchdown, but I didn't do that much more. DJ Moore had a touchdown. Jerry Judy got injured. Cortland Sutton did fine. Higby was like the second highest scoring tight end at 14. Curtis Samuel, Michael Thomas had 18 points. Yeah, Adams was a dud. Higgins had a touchdown, right? I mean, like, and then we go down. Swift had a good game, right? And I had some of these these commanders and Lions. And then, you know, I have two lineups with Tyreek Hill. Right, you go down over here. It's like, it, it feels like I, I, had, I had decent, like, here's a Trevor Lawrence lineup with Christian Kirk. Right, Daryl Henderson, not well. Pritchard McCaffrey put up 19 points. Like these, some of these lineups like cashed. Like they, they, they mm-hmm. did enough that, especially when you have uh, here's Marcus Mariota to Drake London, with mm-hmm. Allen Robinson, but still, then I have Fournette, Barkley, and Adams, and they dr- drastically under and the Dolphins defense mm-hmm. put up a minus one or something. So it's like I had I had pretty good lineups, uh, especially using using your tools. For research, <laughs> I did not necessarily use for my eighteen lineups like the portfolio trimmer tool. Yeah, because I was I basically was building out through. I would focus more on combinatorics than on like projection necessarily versus ownership, as long as it was under a certain number. Mm-hmm. So basically, I was just trying to avoid playing the most popular combinations. And you could see here in the results DB, I want to show like the power of this. Okay, uh, Saquon Barkley. So we get, we can we can see here on on results DB. There's there's this team stacks and game stacks report. So here you get the percent you get the ownership of every player in the million. I'm using the million as an example. Barkley forty three percent owned. Cincinnati defense forty one percent owned. Adams thirty three percent owned. Dorch twenty one percent owned. Now in Individually, they look like like high, high owned players. But like if we go to like team stacks, Derek Carr plus Devontae Adams was in 7.8% of total lineups. Okay. So Devontae Adams was 33% owned, but it comes down to 7.8 once you add Derek Carr in there. Now, and the mix in Cincinnati defense, 6% owned in total. These are still humongous numbers for a large field contest. The fact that 7% of lineups and 6% of lineups had these exact two player combos means that I'm trying to avoid kind of those, those combos if possible. But we take a look at Saquon Barkley. You could even see game stacks here. I said before the slate, the most popular lineup is going to be Derek Carr, Devontae Adams, Greg Dorch. And there you go. 2.1% yep. of lineups. 3.5 had Devontae Adams and Greg Dorch without De- Derek Carr, right? Christian McCaffrey plus Saquon Barkley is another high one. But look at the look at the ownership here of Saquon Barkley, 43%. So you go, okay, I'm just gonna fa- I'm gonna fade Saquon Barkley. Well, and depending on the lineup that you're playing him, do you have to fade Saquon Barkley in that lineup? Because I'm going to. Game stacks and like once I plug in DJ Moore in with Saquon Barkley, that combination's only own one point seven percent. It goes forty three percent, and now it's all the way down. And they're correlated to each other, right? Same game type of correlation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's like as long as I'm playing DJ Moore and I get that boost with that correlation, 
Like, why can't I play Saquon Barkley in those lineups more and then not have to worry as much about ownership? Right. Because not many pe- not as many people. Yeah, it's the one, two, three, fourth, fifth highest owned combination, but we're still only talking about 1.7% of lineups. So, it, like, taking a look at something like this, Barkley more, it's like, but once I plug in Tua, Edmonds, Tyreek, like, that's... I mean, Tyreek's ownership wasn't out of hand. And Tua and Chase were single-digit owned. Like, Doolin was like 12% owned. This Barkley-Moore combination is 1.7% owned in total. I don't care about Mixon and the Bengals, right? Like, I've already... I could have, if I wanted to have Mixon and the Bengals in here, I can. Sure. Right? Even though that's a a high-owned combination, but like... I've reduced it so much. And also I'm playing this lineup. This is the lineup that I played in the $200 double spot. Sure. Yeah. Cause it's the highest projected lineup that I, right. So like, I don't mind. This is the highest. I mean, I don't need, I don't need that high of a score. It only has like what 800 people in it or something. So it's like, okay, well, there you go. What's, what's, what's wrong with this as a lineup, as a whole, once you start piecing out, what the popular combinations of players like? Why can't I play Dad Devontae Adams in a lineup that it's a Trevor Lawrence, Christian Kirk, Ashton Doolin, two plus one? Right. I can play Daryl Anderson in this lineup, especially when I'm playing the, the towards the top of this list are my like single entry three max. So this is this is like a spy lineup, mm-hmm. right? I played in the spy. Yet on the bottom, I go down to the bottom. This is this is where I have the the Carson Wentz. Terry McLaurin, Logan Thomas, right? Barkley Moore together. Amon Ra is the run back on the other side. Then I have James Conner here. Allen Robinson is a one-off. It's like, okay, th- this is this is a this is more like a power sweep lineup, an eighth, you know, five to eight thousand person contest type of lineup. But that those are the lineups that I was building. I was building some single entry to three max. So it's like I build them in bands. Right? Some some more towards the high end of the spectrum and ownership and projection and some a little bit lower, but as long as it doesn't go like this projection was 128, but I'm dropping like this ownership is what 85 total. And this is obviously large field ownership. So it's like, yeah, I'm playing a lineup with, you know, Russell Gage, you know, Brandon cut the Russell Wilson, Cortland Sutton, Alberto, Brandon cooks with Deandre Swift, who actually came in at like 4% owned, which was wild. Right. So it's like I'm building these types of lineups, but how I'm getting to these lineups is that I'm using the portfolio correlation matrix and I'm running other people's projections. So I'm running RG projections, blitz projections, insert site here projections, and then seeing the combinations of players on level one. Level one means that they don't care about, they're not factoring in based on ownership at all, right? So basically they're running 150 cash lineups. Mm-hmm. Let's see what they look like. And I, at least stacking something, right? I'm using different constructions to just, you know, see what's representative out there. And then from there, I group out the highest owned players and then run run lineups again. So it's like, okay, if you use these projections and are still like just running what the best is, but let's say you group out that you, you don't play more than two of Barkley, Adams, Fournette, uh, Dorch, Henderson. But you could only play two of them. Now let's run it and then see what comes up. Because though maybe for people that are aware of ownership, 
will do something like that. But it'll still be over-owned because a lot of people are doing that. So what types of lineups come up for that? And what players are connected to one another? And then you take that, and then I group those players out, right? To, to a max of max of three overall. So you can take two of the first group and three total of the next group. What is that level three? And the level three, are the are, those are the people I want to play, mm-hmm. right? So you're, kinda, you're using other people's optimizers, other people's projections against them, especially in tournaments where you think a lot of people are using projections. And although Amon Rob St. Uh, St. Brown was fairly owned, yeah. he wasn't like super chalk, but he was one of the more owned wide receivers because based on the, the correlations, meaning that I'm not using Adams in a lot of lineups. I'm not using McCaffrey in a lot of lineups. I'm not using Cup in a lot of lineups because of projection. Jonathan Taylor isn't coming up much. It's like I'm not, I'm not spending up that much anywhere. The 6K wide receiver range is what I was getting a lot of. Like anyone that's not using those players and not using the Bengals defense all the way down and they're paying up to like a $2,900 Patriots defense or something, they're most likely going to be living in that 5, 5K or and their top, their highest, uh, most expensive receiver is going to be in the 6K range. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the best rejected receiver in the 6K range, Amon Ross St. Brown. So like... He never appeared in popular enough combinations for me to ever have to group him out. And by grouping out all the people that were not in those price ranges, like I end up with, with uh, $5,800 Josh Jacobs a lot. I end up with Amon Ross St. Brown a lot. Those combinations, I end up with Allen Robinson more than Jerry Judy or, uh, or, or uh, Brandon Cooks in that range. I end up with more Cortland Sutton at 6,100. I end up with more Higby at tight end and not either the punt tight ends or the, or I end up with, uh, with Mark Andrews. So it's like Curtis say, I end up with a four since I'm not playing Dorch or Richie James jr. I end up with either Ashton Doolin or Curtis Samuel, right? Either I'm paying up, I'm going down for Doolin or I'm paying up to Samuel. So like putting all that in, like, this is where the, like, it's like, I didn't like, Oh, I'm on Russ. How did you know? I didn't know anything. It's just that based on the more commonly constructed lineups, Amon Ross St. Brown appeared in the least amount of them, even though he appeared in a lot of them. Mm-hmm. It's just that his connection to Barkley, his connection to Henderson, his con- like he didn't fit in lineups with like three of those players, mm-hmm. but only two of those players. So in order to avoid that popular combination of three of those players, Amon Ross St. Brown was, was, and, and, and out of those players that were in the popular group, the most valuable one was Saquon Barkley. Mm-hmm. So that's why I got more Saquon Barkley than I got Devontae Adams. So like, like I'm just using projections and going through combinatorics and okay. What, what are the people playing that are not now you can get the, there's a bluntly, you could kind of get this way by you, by setting ownership maxes, mm-hmm. right? By setting, you could do it by the portfolio trimmer. But since I was only building eighteen lineups, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not building three thousand lineups to get down to eighteen. Right. Like I'll build three thousand to get down to one fifty, but to get down to eighteen, sometimes it's just like, do I want to play this guy or not? Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like, out of my eighteen, I just decided like I'm just not playing Dorch or Richie James Jr. Like I'm just not doing it. 
I'm not going to select a lineup. I could find plenty of plus EV lineups. I'm just, so I don't have to bother building those lineups. So I, I can remove some of the stuff like that. So like the use of the portfolio trimmer wasn't needed. When, and also I'm also building for single entry three max primarily. So like I could play slightly more, like I don't need to like get all the way down. And so it's like, I'm probably pro- playing a decent amount of like the better projected plays anyway. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the chalk. Yeah. Right. So I'm, I'm, and I'm aggregating all the projections and doing everything. But as far as research is concerned, like I, like dude, yes, it takes, it takes a while to generate 300 lineups for each of those constructions for each projection. So like, it took me like maybe two hours on Saturday, on typical on Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. When you have a projection. Right. And then I did it. I did a, a similar version on Sunday morning because of the, the Julio Jones. Yeah. He was out and then Kamara was out. And even though Ingram didn't project well, uh, and then just run it through. And then each time throw them into the portfolio correlation matrix, which with 300 lineups that are diverse enough may take two or three minutes to do. And then I just create, and then I just start creating groups. So, I mean, I could look at my like groups here. I mean, Adams, Barkley, Fournette, Cooks, Henderson, Bengals defense, max two. Max three of those guys, but then you add Cop, McCaffrey, uh, Mixon, Jacobs, Samuel, Albert O, Dolphins defense. And then you go to the, this next one, Max four, and then you and I added Tyreek Hill, Swift, uh, Javante Williams, Marquise Brown, Christian Kirk, Hunter Renfro, Higby, Patriots defense, Paris Campbell. Right. So it's like I could do four of these guys is fine, but just don't use more than that. Right. I could get if it was large field stuff, I may have done one, two and three rather Mm -hmm. than two, three and four. And to be fair for this really for the small field that are like under a thousand, I could probably do three, four, five or two, four, six even or so like something like that, where it's like once I get to this level, once I get to the third level. Like, feel free to have six of those guys, as long as it's no more than two of the really chalky guys, right? So just going through like that. Me, I just decide, I'm, you know, this is, like I, I always say, these are blunt methodologies. So it's like, once I'm doing it this way, like, do I do I need to, like, make 3,000 lineups? And, like, I couldn't, the thing about it, I couldn't do this for 150 lineups because it would just take, it would, like, it would take it would take an eight hours to do it. Right, right. That's what I'm saying. It would to do it, it much be easier in the portfolio. Let me for 150 lineups, I'm gonna do projection versus ownership. Rather, I'll still group out some stuff. Like I'll still yeah. use the do this, but then I'm building three thousand lineups based on this and then trimming it down. Yeah. And I don't see I don't see a need to do that for this type of lineup set. Mm-hmm. So when you were going through and doing this exercise, did you find after looking at results database that the combinations that you thought would be the highest based on the correlation matrix ended up being the highest? I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at them right now. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I mean, if we take a look, I mean, we're talking about car Adams. I played zero car Adams lineups. I only played one mix in Cincinnati defense lineup. And that was because you had enough low ownership and enough right. leverage already that it didn't. Right. Happen. And then also once that stack went off and everything like that, I'm like, why not? Why aren't, why aren't I right. be more inclined to block anyway? That was my only lineup with the Cincinnati defense. 
had had a sub who was in a similar position and asked me if they should switch on to Cincinnati defense. And they they basically had the nuts from the first couple of games. Like, yeah, take 41% on defense. Just you don't right. want to be You're blocking at that point. Yeah. Right. So I'm taking a look here. Like, well, a lot of people have Williams and Judy. I had none of that. Lance Samuel. I, I didn't play any Lance. Right. These are team stacks. Game stacks on the other side. Yeah, I, I, I have. I mean, I'm just looking through results DB, but I could download. I'll, I could download the CSVs and and see. Yeah, I'm just, right? I'm just asking download- off off the top of your head if it if it looks well, like. I mean, just look at just look at ownership. I mean, it, I mean, you could pretty much just look at ownership. Like who who is my who is my first group? My group is Barkley, Cincinnati defense, Devontae Adams, Greg Dorch, and uh, and Leonard Fournette, mm-hmm. who didn't come out. So maybe Fournette and Henderson and Fournette. Right? Was it Henderson and Fournette? Yeah. And Fournette only ended up being 9% owned or something in large field stuff, which was weird. Also. Yeah. Right. So really, if if I wanted to be a little bit more judicious, I could have just done Adams, Barkley, Bengals defense. And Dorch isn't in here because I, 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 he's not in the play. He's not in my player pool. Right? Because I I excluded him. That's the only reason he's not in here. Uh, I, I could have only done that. Like looking back, if I wanted to be, now, I'd rather lean on the side of being more contrarian. So I'd rather end up with the Fournette not in those lineups either. But if I wanted to, like that group would have been these four, these top four: Barkley, Cincinnati, Adams, Dorch, and then do a max one of yeah. that. And then and Fournette then would have been in the there. second group that I would have had a max two on. Right. Yeah. Right. I think Kurt. I think. Uh, Doolin came in a little higher than I thought. Uh, anything that I was surprised? I mean, Swift came in much lower than I. If if I had Swift's ownership down over there, he would I would have gotten a lot more of him. Uh, Javante came in a little a little bit higher than I thought. Uh, Gibson around the same. Judy came in a little bit higher than I thought. Like Jamar Chase was much higher than I. Thought. He ended up being I had Jamar Chase like fifteen percent or something. I I figured that he'd be up there. No, I I just Jamar Chase at like six percent. Well, everyone was talking about you know two red zone targets and they ran the button. They ran a hundred offensive plays. Like I I just thought that like the the tout speak of just mentioning those things would have made him a little bit more popular, especially with all the value. Like we had so much value on the slate that people were able to pay to whatever they really wanted to. Right. Uh, we'll go through some of the, some of the questions in, in YouTube chat. Cause you could always ask questions. We'll, we'll get to them. Uh, Matt Mears out of curiosity, since you seem to integrate the RG SIM tool flex values into your showdown process, do you just not play showdown slates that the SIM tool doesn't cover? No, no. I mean, I could, number one, I'm typically not playing showdown slates that aren't Island games in NFL, which we do have the SIM tool, but I don't even need the SIM tool. I mean, showdown is about 95% of playing showdown is building lineups that aren't as duplicated. Right. That's right. Like if you were to do nothing else, but to randomly build thousands of lineups and then put them into the dupe predictor that James has built as part of theory of daily fantasy sports and just said anything, I'll take any lineup that's under five dupes and blindly played them that you're 95% of the way there. Like, yeah. regardless of, oh, I have a wide receiver captain, but I don't have the quarterback in my flex. Like, the, dude, 
Like that, that's a way to eliminate some of those lineups because you're going to find more than 150. So like you can do that. But for the most part, if you want to just find a way to generate lineups, have have the ownership of, of every player and the salary of every player, cut and paste it into the duplication predictor. Look for under five. Now, if the highest variant strategy, just look for all zeros. But understand those lineups are also sometimes leaving 10,000 on the table and you play 150 of them. You could easily have a slate where you lose all your money, but you may have a slate where, dude, you, you come in first, second, and third, all solo, and you, and you take down half the half the prize pool. Yeah. Um, so everything else is a diversification thing from there. So it's like, I could do that. I typically, when I play 150 in Showdown, I don't play 150 lineups that are unique. I aim for under fives mm-hmm. because if other people are playing it to some degree, at least it's a reasonable enough lineup that yeah. if I make 50,000, if I split it first place with less than five, I still think I'm plus EV. But anything over that, I'm I'm, I'm trying to avoid. And if I run into, oh, I ended up playing a lineup that I think on this past showdown, not last night, but on Thursday, a lineup that was duped 32 times. Like that's not that's I didn't do that on purpose. I did that by accident. And then you look at it and you're like, ah, that's a bummer. Right. But I also played tons of lineups that like I I, I played uh, I think a uh, hundred lineups on no I played f- no fifty lineups. So what did I play on 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 Thursday? I I, I had 84 percent of my lineups were under under fives. So it's like I'm okay. I'm fine with that. Yeah. Right. And then I, only ten percent of my lineups were unique. So like out of fifty lineups. I had, I had like a hundred lineups. I had eighty-four under fives and ten uniques. It's like yeah. I'm 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 fine with that. I'm aiming for under fives more than anything. But like, you don't need the sim tool. Like, I just use that as a way to get a more representative sample of the lineups that I'm creating. Because I'm not just creating three hundred lineups. I'm creating like three thousand lineups. So I don't want to. If I don't put in exposures in creating those lineups, I'm just going to get like some $200 guy in like 80% of my lineups. So it's like, like by the time I trim down, like it's going to be natural that I'm going to just have a lot of that guy anyway, because he, he makes up, he makes up 2,600 out of the 3000 lineups that I'm looking at to begin with, rather than this other $200 guy that is only projected 0.2 points different than him. I had, right? uh, I had Mari Rogers projected for 1.5 fantasy points last night. 1.5. Okay, that's all. He ended up in like 14% of 5,000 lineups that I ran. And it's like, I don't I don't actually think that Amari Rogers should be in 14% of my portfolio, but eventually you end up with... Thur- Thursday, Thursday, uh, James, that happened to me. But his name was Justin Watson. Hardy, yeah, good for you. Good for you, bud. Yeah, I mean, I made money, but I—I I mean, I came close. Hey, if if Kelsey outscored Mahomes that slate, I would have chopped first three ways. Yeah, uh, you have Kelsey captain. No, I will. Mike Williams captain. Oh, right, right. But I in the flex, I had Kelsey over Mahomes. So yeah, I had the what the winning lineup was for showdown. I had just with Kelsey instead right. of Mahomes, and instead of duping like seven ways or eight ways, or whatever at the top, it would have been a three way chop. Uh, Dfic asks, how do you handle defenses across 150 lineups since their projections are so fragile? James, how do you handle defense in NFL? 
cap it at ten percent. Just <laughs> nobody cares, man. Just 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 run it. I had I, I had one guy. I I love him. He's been a sub for me for a long time, and he just he asked like six questions about defenses yesterday. And eventually, I was just like, bro, you're asking a lot of questions about defense. Just don't worry about it. <laughs> just anything, any defense. If you want, if you have a lineup that is really, really different, play the, the Bengals. If you don't have a lineup that's very different, anyone, literally anyone, just cap down seven. This is this is how a lot a lot I put it, and and I've heard several sharp players. I mean, uh, set talk about defense in NFL. Okay. You have this lineup right here, right? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So basically, in NFL, classic, obviously, you make an eight-player lineup. Okay? You play a quarterback. You play two running backs. You play three wide receivers, a tight end, and a flex for a running back, wide receiver, or a tight end. So that is, that is, your, that is everyone's lineups. And then there's this ninth spot where this random dice just gets rolled <laughs> and that then you get points and it's like you could get 2 yeah. you could get 20 or anywhere in between and the salary doesn't matter yeah right the salary doesn't matter and the and the and the any any predictive what like if you like well I'm going to base it based on like like their pass rush the opponent's pass or the amount of plays run there's nothing you try to do any of that and you try to uh, try to uh plot that out for an R2 value, you're going to get like no, like the minimal at best correlation, positive or negative. So once you start doing that and you go, let me, let me try to find like 18,000 variables that could, that are, have predictive power. And you're like, well, there really isn't anything that has that much predictive power at all. Uh, and the, and, and the salaries also don't don't matter that much that's why paying down at defense is much more popular than paying up at defense because the salaries aren't even that much of an indicator they're a little bit of an indicator uh so essentially you just roll you're just rolling a die and as as, in correlation with other players running back defense thing that barely there's like just dude if you treated it like an eight player lineup and imagine there's a wheel Right there's a there's a there's a 24 team wheel with colors on it, and yeah. and at and the slate people we're just gonna roll. That's it. You're not playing the Patriots defense. You're playing the silver color on the wheel. So treated it like well, how do I decide on silver? It's like well, how would you decide on any color? There's no metric on a color. Just like whatever color comes up on the wheel, that's what it comes. Like it's weird to put it that way. And then you just hope that you run like God. That, right, and right. You hope you run good. Right, <laughs> that's what that ninth. That's what the ninth spot is. Okay, and everything I, else you could. There's predictive stuff. There's you know projections and everything, long run type of things. But that DSD position is just like. I think that everyone should treat defense as if it's projected for five fantasy points, and then just whatever fits. And then people are gonna be like, oh well, then why wouldn't you always just play the cheapest defense? You can. <laughs> you can't. Can. No, what, what you what you should what you could do like the blitz has the defense agnostic projections where basically they're all normalized to at the same point for dollar value. So basically, it'll just fit in whatever it, you'll get the same relative amount of points at at defense for any right defense. Obviously, the higher price defense you get you more points, but it's relative to salary. So basically, the agnostic projections 
treat defense as like the spot doesn't exist. Essentially, yeah. it just fills in. It's going to make you the best eight player lineups, and then whatever spot is left, it's left. Right. Uh, D Defic then asked, at least dodge the high owned like Cincinnati was. Not necessarily. I I mean like Cincinnati before the slate started. If you would have told me that Cincinnati would have been forty percent owned, uh I would have laughed audibly. I would have laughed out loud. But then I would have said, okay, well, they're really cheap. Um, I have a lineup that is like, uh, it's a Washington stack that fades both Saquon Barkley and Vontae Adams and doesn't have Dorch. I can probably eat Cincinnati defense if I want to. If I want to, right? Like, it's fine. It's just about building out a lineup that, remember, ownership is a lever that deals with the volatility of your lineup. If you have a volatile lineup already, you ha- you can you can afford the the ownership of a really high owned defense to lower the volatility of your lineup. That's fine. But it, it's if if you have a lineup that has Saquon Barkley and Devontae Adams and Greg Dortch and and Derek Carr or whatever, like if you have that chalk bomb lineup, if you have a cash game lineup you shouldn't play the Cincinnati Bengals defense at 40% out. Like that, that's just, that's the entire level lever that there is there. But when in doubt, the easiest way to get leverage in your lineup in NFL is to not play the chalkiest defense at the highest variance position. I mean, like what you're saying is correct. And remember it's lineups, not players. So if you want to play a lineup, like we always talk about it in every sport about how much leverage do you need? How much lower ownership do you need in the contest that you're playing? Mm-hmm. Right? So if you get enough in one, like people like, oh, I'm not going to play Aaron Judge as a, at a 40% one-off on a, an 11 game slate. Well, I mean, you can, if you line up, it makes sense for you to play the highest projected player on the slate. Yeah, well, sure. But the easiest way to get leverage is by not playing him. Like the well, easiest way to suck out ownership that from an overall player to gain relative value in your lineup is to just fade. Like the easiest way for you to gain relative value in GPPs on this slate is to not play the Cincinnati Bengals defense. Like yeah. it's, it's giving you so much positive relative value by just one, just play anything else, play the jets instead. There you Good. You're done. 40% owned defense to a 4% owned defense. Right. And defense is just a, it's a, a wheel of fortune. That's mm-hmm. the easiest way. But if you're playing a lineup that is completely, <coughs> completely contrarian, where you have a 60% ownership sum for the other eight spots, and you want to play, like, how much more relative value do you need? Right. You, you, you may not need any more. So if you wanted to, you could play the Bengals defense there. They do project for a little bit better, right? That you could. Now, for the, the how varied defense is, I still wouldn't do it. So, but I'm just saying at least only because the, the lineup that you can make without it actually has a higher expected value. But the lineup with it still is plus EV. I mean, like we're talking about the difference of playing a plus EV, not plus EV or negative EV, but the higher or lower. If I could get a lineup that 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 has the Cincinnati Bengals defense that I would say has an EV of a dollar twenty-four, and without playing the Bengals defense, now it's a dollar twenty-nine. Like I'd rather play the dollar twenty nine lineup, but if you play the dollar twenty four lineup, it's still a plus. That that's the, the difference in the five cents. I won't see for like seven hundred slates. Like so, like if you wanted to play that lineup, that's perfectly fine. And also, if 
that lineup has if you if you were playing the 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 Tua stack, if you had a lineup in the in, if you had a lineup that was Tua, Chubb, uh, Waddle, Hill, Andrews, Amon Ra, like I would be rushing as hard as possible to plug in the Cincinnati Bengals defense. I was just into going to make that point. I I think that the that the decision making process on a super chalk defense doesn't even come before the slate. If you can afford it, it comes after the slate has started. It comes like after the point, like if, if the Cincinnati Bengals defense, which was a late lock, right? It's part of late, late games. Right. If I go into the slate, knowing that it's going to be the most popular defense on the slate, I'm fine with having it. If I have enough relative value before the slate, but I'm really not making the decision until after I know if I have the nuts or not on the early games, because if I do, it's the same thing I told the sub yesterday. Like you already have like the winning players so far. You want to block the people behind you. You your EV like is already pretty much as high as it's gonna be. Right. You have forty so, percent of people behind you that are trying to catch up. Right. With the Cincinnati Bengals defense. If you were to switch to another defense that was one percent owned at the time, if the Bengals put up thirty points as a defense and your defense has zero. Like you, you're gonna come in like you're not gonna win. You're not right. gonna stay in first place. You put the Bengals defense there. Like all those forty percent of other people have to find some other way right. to beat out your forty point wide receiver. They're sitting there with Devontae Adams, going, "I hope he scores sixty, mm-hmm. right, right." Without changing the defense, like the easiest way for those lineups. Like if you had a Bengals defense lineup that was not in like the top. One percent of lineups, but essentially, if you if you did not have uh, the ball, the, the the Dolphins or Ravens stacks, right? That that type that game stack lineup, and you left in Bengals defense, you made it heading into four o'clock games. You should trade in your DFS card, yeah, because or, the, you, the, or you should you shouldn't trade in your DFS card. You should just learn from it because everybody right, has to right. learn from mistakes. But like, right. if you're a very good player and already very knowledgeable, and you did that, then because the Bengals defense, as opposed to Adams, because a lot of people like, well, how about Adams and Dorch? No, it's like, Adams well, and Dorch both projected cases. very well, right? And the Bengals defense is random. Right. That's why it's the Bengals defense, not those. But also, for as late swap is concerned, like if you're sitting there with uh, with with Adams in a lineup that has Tariq Hill and Tua, it's it's the same thing. Now Adams is less owned than the Bengals defense, but still, it's just still the same thing. Like, and same for Greg Dorch. But if you're sitting there, if you had no piece of that game, why, why do you, why do you still have like a car, Adams, Dorch? You're sitting there with, let's say you're sitting there with Barkley and you're sitting there with Fournette in your lineup and you have no, and you have no Amon Ross St. Brown and no piece of the, the Ravens Dolphins game. It's like, like, dude, you have no piece of any of the things that you're going to pretty much need to win. And now you're playing the highest on game in the slate. Yep. Like that, you should be switching. It, it, I, I think people, I tweeted this out yesterday. I think people maybe say to themselves, uh, well, maybe this, maybe the, maybe the, the Raiders Cardinals game, it goes 53 to 42 and, and you need that game and that game, it, it wouldn't matter which one it's like, dude, it's much more likely 
for you to at least min cash by swapping off and playing some Falcon stack or something, yeah. then, then hoping that you and the 20% and 25% of other people that have the same lineups as you are going to magically pass yeah. this game that put up like 70 plus points on the slate. Like these are the times that you should, you should be, you should be swapping out. If you don't have a, you already have the information. You already have it, right? So you just use it to your advantage. And then if you have the information in your lineup and you're like, wow, I got all the pieces, you're doing the opposite. You're like, how could I swap off? A, how yeah. could I block with Greg Dorch? Lower like the I'm ball trying to already. rush to get Greg Dorch and the Bengals defense and Daryl Henderson into my lineups. Lower because, your like, volatility. Right. That's, that's what you do. Uh, another question I think we saw earlier. How do you look at the Miami Baltimore game now that it was the highest scoring total or you don't think about it much and stick to the process of projected higher scoring implied totals? I, I mean, that game still had a 44 over under. It's not like we're talking that the, that the game had like a 38 over under or something like that. And, and for the most part, the, the slate, I think the lowest over under on the slate was 39. The highest over on the slate was 52. So we're talking about a game that had an average over under. Um, but outside of that, like projection over under is not the only thing that matters when you're building out projections and um, both Miami and Baltimore and Blunder. I talked last week about Miami's offense, having a lot of playmakers on it, right? Like right. they have Tyreek Hill, they have Jalen Waddle. Um, they have Tua who apparently now has an arm because he is good. It's now. a lot of yards after the catch. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of explosive action that can happen for Miami. Um, Baltimore is the same, right? Like Lamar Jackson's an extremely explosive player. Rashad Bateman, very explosive. Devin Duvernay looks like he might be explosive this year. And then Mark Andrews, who's an elite tight end. So, um, I think that even if like with, with my projections over Pater, like those Miami still projected well, Baltimore still projected well, mostly because even with a, you know, average over under those explosive players have such strong baselines and the target trees are so narrow for both of those teams that, the projections likely were still good if you were stacking that game. Um, and then you can look at other advanced metrics. Like I, I built something that measures ag aggressiveness of throws over at Pater, um, which you, you can go look at. And that had Miami and Baltimore as very high as well. So like from a model building standpoint or from a projection standpoint, if you're going to make decisions based off only over-unders, you're leaving a lot of meat on the bone without understanding the player's baselines as well. Uh, also, the same goes for pace of play. There was a conversation in the Blitz chat uh, yesterday. Uh, the I the 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 Miami Baltimore game out of the twelve games on the slate didn't have the most didn't what didn't have the most plays. No, you know you know what you know what game had had the most plays on the slate? I believe Cincinnati Dallas maybe. No. I think that was up there, maybe. Uh, the the Tampa Bay uh, Saints game. Okay? Well, no, I don't. I don't think that should make sense. But I anyway, continue. Okay, but but to put things into perspective, like people remember, we're weighing a lot of variables. Mm -hmm. The problem with the human brain, and this is why I use a projection model, and I don't go by single metric types of things, is because you weigh it too much. Yeah. Right, so you're like, oh, I'm going to target the high total games. It's like, well, what happens if all the players in the game are seventeen thousand dollars salary? Like, 
Well, salaries are modified. Like there's so many modifiers that like, oh, I'm looking to target this. I'm looking to target, like, I'm not looking to target nothing, right? It's all weighed for me into the projections already. So mm-hmm. I'm not even going to try to even be biased, right? By not even, I don't, I don't care. Anything I'm looking at, even if I think I'm not double counting, just by looking at it, I'm going to mentally double count something like that in, in my mind. So like people are talking about, oh, the the pace of play. It's like, yes, the the Saints-Bucks game, I believe, I haven't looked at this, but I believe had more plays run than the Miami-Baltimore game. The yeah. problem in the in the in the Saints Bucks game is that most of those plays were for three yards, right. right? So that so it doesn't matter. Like if I told you James, just two games in general, and I said one, I'm gonna make up. I'm gonna make up numbers, right? One had total plays, one had a hundred, and one had 125 plays. Naturally, you'd be like, well, 125 plays. I mean, that's just that's more opportunities for me to score points. That sounds better. That sounds better, right? And from a median perspective, that is likely correct. Mm -hmm. So from a mean, like that distribution, the median projection or the mean even, probably fantasy point scoring, how big that pie is of fantasy points, is probably a little bit bigger in the 125, the the game with 125 plays in it, uh, from the middle end of the spectrum, but from the ceiling, like dude, 125, imagine running 125 plays and it's the bears and the 49ers. Like that. I could tell you that the play, the game with 125 plays ended seven, uh, 15, well, five field goals to to ten with a touchdown. Wow. There was only one touchdown scored in that game. It's fifty. And it was by 10. the losing team, and it was the backup uh, tight end who right. played fullback for the play. Right. And then the game with a hundred plays in it. That game went 40, 42 to ten. Yeah. Or thirty six to thirty because yeah, there was only a hundred plays. Why? Because well, a kickoff a kickoff was returned to the ten yard line. And then one pass into the end zone, seven points. And then the next team uh, went marched down, had a 45-yard play to get into field goal range, and then ran it in. Okay, and now it, it, it's still, there's only, that's only five minutes of game time. It's already 7-7. Then the other, the other team, two plays in, throws a pickoff, Right. And the other team gets the ball now at their that the, the opposing 18. So they got 18 yards for a touchdown. They don't even make the first down. They run on first down because they're stupid, right? They throw a they throw a, a incomplete on second down, which stops the clock. Then on third down, it's a sl- it's a wheel route, and the running back get, catches out of the backfield and screen pass and touchdown. 14 to seven, only seven minutes of game time, right? It's like. Once you get to the end of the thing, it's, oh, there's only been 100 plays. But just, like, there were some plays that were 50 yards and also defensive plays that limited the space of the the field. And the thing that I'm describing could happen in any goddamn game, right? That's the, who knows? Carson Wentz throws a pickoff. Lions get the ball back in prime field position. Vice versa, fumbles. Like, there's so much variance in there. Uh the totals reflect that, right? The to- the the betting lines do reflect that in some regard, but 
dude, one or two broken plays in a game. Look at the look at the Browns Jets game. Who would have thought it's okay? Browns Jets. That's going to be a thirty-one to thirty. I mean, like, and most of the players in the game were unowned. I like played the Wilson guy. I mean, like, so it's like, what are you worried about? Like, anything could happen in any of these games. That's why I always say I do not focus on predicting outcomes. I focus on embracing variance because other people are trying to predict outcomes. Right. So as long as I don't get biased. They just run the numbers. The model will already account for anything that we're talking about, right? Even for defense, it's even accounting for for pressure rate, sack rate of offensive line. It's already accounting for that. And it's still throw it up and put put it in the wheel of fortune. And even then that's that's high variance. Uh so I know it it it's it sounds, I mean, it sounds like me. Like this is my style of like playing DFS of you don't know anything that you think, you know, a good projection model knows way more than you. And in the long run, as long as you're, you have opponents that are building lineups based on trying to predict outcomes, there will be arbitrage between that and the efficient numbers that there should be in contests. So I'm just looking to it. People think one thing, I think the other thing, well, does it matter which one they think? Nope. Don't care. As long as it's not, on the as long as it's not at equilibrium, don't care. If everyone thought Javante Williams could have been the, the narrative this week could have been Javante Williams. Oh my god, he's gonna catch 12 balls out of the backfield every game, which obviously seems ludicrous. Uh, but the narrative could have been that ain't gonna happen. That's an outlier and it'll never happen again. Right. right? Like, like it's the same exact data, and people will tell themselves one or the other. Daryl Henderson. Maybe Akers is back. Maybe that report is right. Does his ownership go down based on? Maybe it does. De- DeAndre Swift, that report. Oh, he's he's going to be on a, a. He may be limited. Dude, DeAndre Swift is always limited. <laughs> like he's like he's literally always. Even when he's fully healthy, he's limited. But when DeAndre Swift is on the field, he's like the number one target. It's like he's one of those guys that he may only see the field fifty percent of snaps, but he's getting the highest value touches in those 50 snaps. And if he had if more goal line work, like he would be even with like, he would be Alvin Kamara, like, like yeah, Al, uh, Drew yeah. Brees, Alvin Kamara, because Alvin Kamara was the same thing of like, he'd be a $9,000 running back and be like, how do I pay for 14 touches? And it's wow. like, well, he gets eight tar, he gets eight receptions and he gets all the goal line work. Like that's why for he could get there in 14 touches. But Derrick Henry, on the other hand, or Nick Chubb, yeah. like they have the all the goal line touches, but they pretty much need to get like thirty to thirty-five touches in order to really kill you, unless they're unless they break a big one or something like that. So it's like these things that we place upon, like if everyone's goes, I can't play DeAndre Swift because of this report or something, and he's going to be four percent owned. Well, why don't I just play more of him? Because the model. The model's telling me one thing. The model is already taking into account that he's probably only playing a median of like 14 touches. And he's still coming up halfway pretty decently for those 14 touches. Maybe he touches the ball more, maybe he touches the ball less, but it should should his ownership be 4%? No, his ownership probably should be 10%. 
right? He shouldn't be the highest owned or anything, but at that discrepancy, that yeah. just says that I should be playing more of DeAndre Swift based on his range of outcomes. None of that is, there's, there's no football take there. It's already in the number. So like playing DFS is more about exploiting what other people think they know or what other, even if they use the projections, people misuse of optimizers, right? Misuse of building lineups, even with those projections. To me, that that's, that's exploitative play in DFS. And that's why like with James's tools, right? As part of theory of DFS.com, like, it speeds up my it speeds up my process to the point of stupidity. I mean, like it's like just 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 plug just I got lineup HQ. Let me generate lineups. I got projections from both RG and other sources. Let me just ra- let me just rattle out a whole bunch of lineups. Put a whole bunch of combinations together. Put all different captains for showdown, but and just run them through and go. Okay, uh, what comes up more than other things based on the ownership of this? And go. Okay, I'm gonna play more of the. Dude, you can use the portfolio trimmer tool, James, to even even not even play those lineups, but to go like, what players contribute most projection for the lowest ownership and go, mm-hmm. let me build 3,000 lineups and then trim them all by smart trim only. And then maybe I'm down to 30 lineups and like, well, well players appear in the most in those 30 lineups. Typically, those are going to be the players that contribute most relative value. And you could throw that into portfolio correlation if you want to see it and go, oh, wow, 18 per 18 out of these 30 lineups have this $5,200 running back. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, that, that may, that may be the most under on running back. So maybe I don't play them in, in, in 70% of my lineups, but it'd be like, okay, here's someone to put in my pool, right? Here's someone to put in my, and then you see who's not in those lineups and you go, oh, those are the people that to have less exposure to Like, it's like, dude, it's, it's almost as simple as that, even by just using the portfolio trimmer tool. And that's just one tool. There's like 17 tools. And we're ma- we're making more. We are we're not making more yet. We're adding uh, things to adding things to existing ones. Yeah, yeah, we're we're putting in some pretty cool upgrades. I almost had one of the upgrades done this morning, Jordan, before the show to send over to you, but uh it's not quite there yet. So hopefully okay. you'll be able to test it out a little bit for showdown there. Right. They they all work. So it's yes. not like you're you're like you're not for like the thing is that, that they all work. It's just a matter of based on workflow. And also we take user feedback. We have a change log. Mm-hmm. James, you send out emails to people that, that that have bought the course, update this. And you can download these at any time. So you'll always, you'll as long as you're downloading it, you'll get the, the newest the newest one. Right? I would pretty much suggest that the morning of any showdown slate, you should go re-download the portfolio tools. At the very least, go download the duplication predictor, the port- portfolio correlation matrix, and the portfolio trimmer, like every showdown. Because I, I am, I, while I will send out an email, not everybody's on the email list. And while I will tweet something out, not everybody follows me on Twitter. And while I will add it to the, to the change log, not everybody goes to the change log. So if you uh, want the most up-to-date version of the tools, the best thing to do is just Thursday morning, Monday morning, just go Go download new new set and do your thing. Right, and the, and the upgrades and the upgrades are, are more based on efficiency. Yes, like because those three tools that you named are the three tools I use the most. Yes, those are the three tools that I use most. Well. So typically, I'm pasting something into one, 
and then the output of one I'm pasting into the other. We yeah. want to make it a little bit cleaner, right? Where you could, that process will be quicker. Yeah. So it's yeah. not like you're really adding, it's like, oh, this thing does a new thing. It's just a matter of, well, if I'm going to be bringing this into there anyway, why don't, why can't I just do a threshold here in this tool so I could just have that? Like, like the, like, like the, the portfolio trimmer, like one of the things, just so that click, because a lot of people that watch have these tools. Uh, the problem with the portfolio trimmer problem is that like, what are my exposures of the players? Mm-hmm. Like, that's something that I want to know because you can't import them back into lineup HQ. So it's like, oh, well, if I want to trim down 3,000 lineups down and I'm down to 300, like, who do I have a lot of? And maybe from a diversification risk tolerance perspective, I may not want to have 86% of this $1,000 showdown player or something like that. And it's like, okay, now I just want to trim those lineups, right? So I don't mind the other ones. These, you know, But I want to get down to 150, but I only, but these 80 lineups that have this one player, I just want to trim those. Mm-hmm. And then as I trim those, I'll see the exposure of that player in that thing go down and down and down. So it doesn't make me have to take that, put it into the portfolio correlation matrix and then see, oh, I have a lot of this. Right. And I'm going back and forth too much. So like these are the like efficiency upgrades to mm-hmm. add to these tools in yeah. using. I mean, it's it's from feedback from users and the number one that who's the biggest user of the tool. That would be you. That would be me. Right. <laughs> so it's like I'm eating my own dog food. Like, James, actually, you're the number one user, but you're also the developer at the same time. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, and and remember, I, I don't play near the same volume that you do. So you right. I would say that you are the number one. Right, you're 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 not building 3,000 showdown lineups with twelve different captains, right? And putting them in and weeding that down to fifty lineups. Yeah, I I am only running optimizations on my own backend for my articles for the showdown season. That's all. Uh, but you could pick all up. You could pick up the tools and the course. It's a, still a six-hour advanced audio course. Uh, TheoryDFS.com. Individual ask you all ever looking for developer help? Me, maybe. That's a maybe. On, but only if I wanted to ever add anything like this onto Pater. Uh, but like as far as developer help for the Excel tools, probably not. I can handle most of it. Right. You're 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 Mr. You're Mr. Excel to me. Yeah, yeah, that's me. But like okay. in terms of like web development, maybe. I'll maybe. Just a lot more, a lot, there's a lot more complex stuff that you'd have to do. The user, into, like, once you start getting on the web, like, your the, the the amount of error checking you need to do goes up, uh, like, exponentially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that, that's what, that's, when I, when I first started my first web development job, I was in charge of that. And it sucks. Error checking everything? Dude, any... Your first run of error checking, you'll you'll maybe only catch ten percent of the actual errors. Yeah, because ninety percent of the errors are things that you would have never imagined someone trying to do. Right, mm-hmm. like, but Excel limits you. Like, you, you much. You'll know when you screw up. Like, it's you. It's easy if you don't paste the column in the right spot. Like that's on you. It's that, there's no expectation of that. But on the web, like. It's you can't cut and paint. It's going to be on an interface somewhere yeah. like that. Yeah. But yeah, in the individual, uh, you could uh, 
You maybe uh, message uh, James on Twitter at paydirt underscore DFS, right? You're still, you're still doing the baseball stuff. I, mean, I commend you for sticking with baseball for another two and a half weeks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm still running everything over at paydirt except for except for Madden Sims. That's the only thing that I have had oh, to Oh, you got rid of Madden Sims? I, How well, do you I, do that? I haven't completely gotten rid of it. It's just I haven't been able to run it in two days. The last time I ran it was Saturday. But I'm still trying to keep up. Uh, everything else, though, baseball, slates, uh, Madden, CSGO, League of Legends when it comes back, everything. Um, and I'm also adding a whole bunch of free research stuff, so still trying to do that kind of thing. Uh, added some NFL stuff, have some more stuff going up today. So if you haven't checked out the site, go check out the site and um, – you know, check out the showdown season articles that I put up. I'll have another one for the night. So, but the Madden Sims, oh my God, you're gonna lose so many people, dude. I I have like multiple subscribers that ask me to run it because they do so well with it. Like it it, it is exploitable. There's a reason why Bill's fan was doing. It. There's a reason why Emil Heskey does it. Like I, I coached a guy like two weeks ago who takes down that main GVP like once a week. Like it's exploitable. It's super exploitable. Right, but the, the first place in the main GPP is like hundred dollars. It's two thousand. Oh, okay. Oh, that's not, not that bad. It's not bad. Like there, there is reason to do it. If you can just press a button, there's a reason to do it for sure. Uh, and as always, you can follow me at Blender HD on Twitter. I'm, I'm here. I'm here all the time. I'm in the Blender's Game Theory channel and the Roto Grinders Discord. It's a premium channel, right? You could you could find me anytime there. You could ask any question you want. I also do coaching sessions. The next one is tomorrow night. 8 p.m. Eastern. So we get on Zoom and you are you have audio and video and you could talk to me about anything. You could show me a screen. You could do whatever. And essentially, it's private coaching. And then you don't have to pay extra or anything. You just have to be a premium subscriber to Roto Grinders. You'll get the you'll get lineup HQ. You need some way to build lineups like this, right? The, the theory of DFS tools won't run lineups. You have to build lineups. You have to have projections. You have to have ownership. Well, I get that all from Roto Grinders and we have obviously a plethora of NFL premium content every single week. So see me in the discord. So see, see me Hey, Friday shows. I, I do a premium show with Tuttle game theory show. So I've got to subscribe to Roto grinders for that. Click on that link in the description, get $10 off your first month. And, uh, and I'll be back tomorrow. Right. I'm here. I'm here like every day. I'm here Monday through Friday at 11 o'clock Eastern. Answering your DFS strategy questions like I mostly do. Mostly. Most of them I do. On the DFS pregame show. On rotogrinders.com.